Hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Hey, so we're in week two in our series in Malachi. I am super excited about this series. Uh, I mean, it just gets right after us. And um, my concern today is this. You know, as a pastor, when you do a lot of talking or teaching, um, a dynamic you become aware of is sometimes we people, all of us are kind of prone to hear what we want to hear, like instead of what's really being said. And so I want us to be super uh, intentional this morning about uh, asking God to help us hear what he's really saying, as opposed to hearing what we want to hear or um, maybe, you know, uh, listening with some sort of bias or perspective. I'll tell you a story that kind of illustrates how people can hear what they want to hear. So there was a minister that decided to do a visual illustration to help get his point across in a sermon. And so what he did is he put four worms in four separate jars. The first worm was put into a container of alcohol the second in a container of cigarette smoke, the third in a container of chocolate syrup, and the fourth in a container of, you know, good, clean soil. So at the end of his sermon, he reported the congregation, the results of his little test to the congregation, the worm in the alcohol, dead. The worm in the cigarette smoke, dead. The worm in the chocolate syrup, dead. But the worm in the good, clean soil was thriving. And so then the minister asked his congregation, what have you learned from this demonstration? And an older woman in the very back of the room raised her hand and said, I've learned that as long as you drink, smoke, and eat chocolate, you'll never have worms. <laughs> yeah, because, right, we have a tendency to hear you know, what it is that we want to hear. And uh, it's vitally important today. In fact, I want to pray one more time that as we open God's Word together this morning, that we won't just hear what we want to hear, but that we'll truly listen for what it is that God's saying. So would you just bow your head and pray that with me? Hey, God, we need your help. We, we get distracted easily. We lose focus. Uh, Papa, would you speak, and would you speak with might and authority and comfort, whatever might be needed this morning, but we're anxious for you to speak, and so we want to make room for that, and our hearts help us not to hear what we want to hear this morning. We ask and pray in the name of Jesus, amen. So in the book of Malachi, Malachi is called a minor prophet. What that means is it's just a short book. It doesn't mean he's less important than a major prophet. It just means his book is shorter. And Malachi is writing because God's people have begun to drift from God. In other words, they're taking God's love and care for granted. Some of them are even questioning God's love. And as a result, their worship has become anemic, and, uh, you know, drawing near to God just doesn't seem like near as much of a priority. And the reason this is so important for you and me is because I think all of us are subject to drift. I mean, especially, uh, you know, when we are in a season where some of us have had to withdraw from community, we've had to endure a difficult season more alone, and I think it's easy in a season like that to get comfortable and to begin to coast, so what happens is, instead of bringing God the best of our time, our talents, our treasures, we begin to offer him our leftovers, or worse yet, just nothing at all. 
And each week in this series, we're asking the question, how should human beings respond to the love of God? I mean, what happens to people when they begin to drift away from his love. And so last week, Pastor Lee walked us through Malachi chapter 1. We saw that uh, what happened to the people in this case was that instead of bringing God their best offering, their first offering, the people of God were essentially bringing him their leftovers. They were bringing him the animals that were diseased or blemished or unsightly or uh, frail. You know, they weren't offering God their very, very best. And here in Malachi 2, we're going to see, and this is so important, we're going to see that when people begin to question God's love, when they begin to pull back from God's love, they fail to love one another. You know, the central statement of chapter 2 is this have we not all one father did not one god create us why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith some uh, versions say by being unfaithful with one another so guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith now this word break faith means this to break faith with someone is to fail to support them to break faith with someone is to be disloyal to them. And so here in Malachi, he's challenging God's people not to be disloyal with their brothers and sisters, with the other people within their faith community. And we know that he's clearly talking to people within the faith community because he begins this way, have we not one father? You know, did not one God create us? So this uh, idea of not breaking faith with one another is meant to apply uh, to a church. It's meant to apply to a people of faith. In other words, he's saying, look, always support one another. Be there for one another. Don't be disloyal to a brother or sister in Christ ever. So let me ask you, how do you need to better support your brothers and sisters within your own faith community? I mean, in other words, how can you better demonstrate a growing loyalty, not just to God, but to his family, to his children, to his bride, to his church? So are you serving? Are you in community with other believers. See, one of the things that we're meant to understand from this challenge is that one of the best ways that you can love God vertically is by loving his children horizontally. See, in other words, the idea is this, you can't dismiss people and be right with God. You can't say you love God and fail to love people. In fact, you may even call loving other people in Jesus' name a horizontal form of worship. In fact, one day Jesus was talking to people about worship. 
And he said, you know, if you're getting ready to worship and you remember that you've mistreated someone or someone has something against you, don't go to worship. Rather, go and make it right with that person and then you can go and offer your worship to God. In fact, on the night that Jesus was bringing a new covenant with his followers between God and man, he said he gave them a new commandment, right, that flows right out of the passage that we're um, teaching in today. This is John 13, verses 33 and 34. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, sometimes we read a command like this and we go, well, how is that a new command? Well, it was a new command uh, because the command of love was in the Old Testament. So what made it new? What made it new was the way that Jesus called us to love. He said, look, I don't want you to love one another the way that you would want to be loved. I want you to love one another the way that I have loved you. That meant this was a raise the bar kind of love. This was to be a sacrificial love, an unconditional love. And isn't it that what we all want in our hearts is to be loved sacrificially, to be loved unconditionally? And only Jesus can do this. And in fact, not only did Jesus call us to love one another, but he said that if we loved one another in the way that he had loved us, that would be the thing that would out us as his followers. That that would be the characteristic, the quality by which the whole world would recognize that we belong to him, that we are his disciples, his followers. And so here's what this means, and I've actually got this on a slide because I think it's so important. It means this, that Christ's selfless love for me requires that I do what's best for thee. Aren't you impressed? I even worked in a little King James language into that sentence, right? We've got the word thee in there, such a spiritual word. Let's say this again. Christ's selfless love for me requires that I do what's best for thee. Listen, it's so funny, right? Because when you, when you start to think about like a rules-based instead of a relationship-based religion, a rules-based religion always looks for loopholes. You know, it's always saying, okay, how close can I get to the line? How far can I get? But there's no loophole in the law of love, right? There's no way to, to question that. Christ's selfless love for me requires that I do what's best for thee. And I want you to think about this for a moment. This new command that Christ bring brought a new answer to the question of why. Why should we obey God? See, I want you to think about this. Under the old covenant, in the, in the Old Testament, they, the people of God obeyed God, obeyed him for the following reasons. First of all, they obeyed God to be blessed. That was part of the covenant, right? If you obey me, I will bless you. They obeyed God to be protected and to prosper because God promised, if you obey me, I'll prosper you, I'll protect you. 
and they obeyed God to keep their nation foreigner free. In other words, so that what was happening in Malachi chapter 2 wouldn't happen. So that uh, women and men wouldn't be marrying women and men of other faiths that worshipped other gods or false gods. Uh, So that was just part of the covenants, right? And I want you to notice, so what that means is that their obedience was self-centered. It was in their best interest to obey, because if they didn't obey, they wouldn't be blessed, they wouldn't be protected, they wouldn't prosper. But under the new covenant, under the new command of Jesus, we don't obey for any of those reasons. We obey God because he's already blessed us in Jesus Christ. We obey God in response to his love. See, we obey God um, because of what Jesus has already done for us. And so it's so important to understand that this new command that Jesus brings brings a new answer to the question, why? So let me give you an example. Let's just tease this out with um, one command. So don't lie. So do Christians obey the command not to lie because it's in a list or do they obey it for a different reason? And I want to submit to you that we obey it for a different reason. We obey it because we've been commanded to love one another. And if I love you, I'm not going to lie to you. See, it's relationship-based. We serve a God, friends, that is super-duper into relationships. You know why? Because as the Trinity, as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God has lived in relationship to himself for eternity past. And so the Son submits to the Father, and the Son sends the Spirit, and the Spirit magnifies and edifies the Son. And you just have this mutuality of affection and honor in the Trinity that God wants to see lived out among those who would be called by His name. This is why Jesus says this is so important to understand that it's your love. If you love one another in the way that I've loved you, that's what's going to out you. And that kind of love doesn't break faith with other people. It supports the brothers and sisters in in the family of faith. It affirms them. It encourages them. It's loyal to them. So don't break faith. So let's be clear. What I'm telling you this morning is that one of the best ways that you can worship God is to support, is to be loyal, is to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, we honor God when we honor others. And the New Testament teaches this repeatedly. I mean, it tells us that we've each been placed in the body of Christ, right? To support our brothers and sisters, that we're, as part of that body, we have to care. Each part of the body has to care for all of the other parts. Here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you this morning that love for God is best illustrated demonstrated and authenticated by a love for others 
I want to say that again. Love for God is best illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by a love for others. So how are you doing with that? How are you doing with keeping that promise? This is one of the reasons we talk so much about community. It's so important for brothers and sisters in Christ to be in community with one another so that they can support one another. Friends, you can't, be in, you can't support someone that you're not doing life with. You just can't do it. So Malachi says, look, it's so important that uh, people in their faith communities support one another. You know, this is why we talk so much about serving opportunities here. Serving opportunities are a way that you can support your other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a way that you can demonstrate loyalty, not just to God, but to brothers and sisters in Christ. So, for example, when we ask for people to serve in our children's ministry, you know what we're asking you to do? We're asking you to support the parents of this church. We're asking you to support the children of this church. We're asking you to be loyal to them. We're asking you to invest in them. Anytime that we make an ask for you to serve, what we're doing is we're saying, look, we want you to look for ways to make sure that you're not breaking faith with your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. This is why we ask you to invest with your treasures in the things that God is calling us to do. Because if we, be, if we as leaders believe God is calling us to do something and you're unwilling to invest in that, guess what? You're breaking faith with the leaders of your church. It's so important that we see this idea of breaking faith for what it really is. Because here's the truth. Worship... Worship of God is not just a vertical deal. Worship is not just vertical. It's horizontal. And I worship God well when I'm loving my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And in Malachi, it isn't just that the people are breaking faith with one another in their faith communities. They're doing it in their homes as well. So listen to what Malachi says. I'll kind of read through this again. Another thing you do, you you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask, why? Well, it's because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you've broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit, they are his, and why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So what Malachi is doing here, and I don't want us to gloss over this, Malachi is weighing in on one of the purposes for marriage. He's saying, look, one of the purposes of marriage is I want to produce, I want to create children who love me, who are devoted to me. 
And divorce gets in the way of that. It interferes with that. It introduces trauma into families that I never intended. And so God goes on to say, so guard yourself and your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment. You know what God is saying here? He's saying, look, divorce is a violence within your home. This was especially true in Malachi's day because if a man and a woman got divorced and there were children that were part of that divorce, a woman literally had no means to support herself. So in that day, if a husband divorced his wife, he was literally uh, introducing his wife and children. They were destitute. I mean, there was no social security, no food stamps, nothing that women and children could rely on. And let's be honest, traditionally in divorce settings, it's the women and the children who often suffer the most. So God says, look, I want godly offspring. Like, so here's what Malachi is saying, kind of a review. He's saying, look, you weep. You know, because God isn't answering your prayers. You're not getting what you want from Him. He isn't accepting your offerings. He isn't honored in your worship. And you ask why. And God says, it's because I'm acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Though she is your partner, you've forsaken her through divorce. You've broken faith with her. So don't be under the illusion that your worship is acceptable to me and your prayers are acceptable to me when the way you treat your marriage partner is completely unacceptable to me. And this is so challenging for all of us, not just people who've struggled or been through a divorce. Now, one of the reasons we're told right here in this chapter that marriages were deteriorating in Malachi's day was that the children of God were marrying people of other faiths. So they weren't staying true to their faith many times as it related to marriage. So here's what that looked like. So, you know, maybe a girl would meet a guy and he wasn't of the same faith that she was, but she liked so many other things about him that, you know, she would kind of tell herself, well, look, you know, we're so compatible in so many other ways it doesn't really matter if we're the same faith or not. I mean, we can probably make it work, you know, around that. And so God's people weren't simply being untrue to one another, but they were being unfaithful to God as they were marrying, you know, um, men and women of other faiths as well. So they were sometimes deserting not just their husbands and wives, but even God himself. Uh, and So this is one of the reasons that God goes on, right, to make one of the strongest statements of Scripture. It's important for us to talk about. He says, I hate divorce. Now, when people get married, I just did a wedding yesterday. They don't make bargains. They don't reach plea agreements. It's not simply a transaction like, you know, hey, well, you know, if you meet my needs you know, maybe I'll meet yours. Or, well, you know, if you scratch my back, maybe I'll scratch your back. See, that's not what's happening. They're making a promise 
They're making a vow before God and before all of their families and all of their friends. It's not simply a transaction. So if you're here today and you're married, I want to remind you of something. You made a promise. You wear a ring. So if you're here this morning and you happen to be married, I want you to take a look at that ring for just a moment. And one of the things that we say when we exchange rings at a wedding is we talk about the ring being a circle and what that circle is supposed to represent is, you know, time without end, no break. So in other words, when we wear a wedding ring, what that represents is a love that we promise we're never going to let die. I mean, that's what that ring you know, represents when, when people look at it. So if you're here and you're married, you're wearing a ring today, you made a promise. That ring signifies a covenant between you and the man or woman that may be sitting next to you. So how are you doing with that promise? You know, I would ask every single married couple that is here to do this this week. I don't normally give homework at church, but you're in luck. Today's a homework day. If you're married, I want to ask you to reserve some time with your spouse this week. And I'm not asking you to self-assess. Like, I think I'm doing pretty good. I want you to ask one another, because that's where the rubber really meets the road, right? Sit down with one another and take about 30 to 45 minutes. And I want you to ask your spouse, how do you think I'm doing in the whole break faith? How do you think I'm doing in supporting you? How do you think I'm doing in being loyal to you? See, because what we often do a lot of times is we say, well, I think I'm loyal enough. You know, I think I'm supportive enough. But we never take a moment to ask our mate or ask our spouse the one that we made all those promises to in the first place. So will you do that? Just sit down and say, look, is there an area in our marriage where you feel like I'm breaking faith with you, where you feel like I'm failing to support you? Is there an area where I need to be more supportive? And, you know, pretty regularly, couples will come to a church like Shelbyville Community Church because they know something. See, they know that without an intervention... Their marriage isn't going to make it. So they come here hoping somehow that God can put their marriage back together again. And they know that without help, without a miracle, their marriage isn't going to make it. You know? And so these should be hopeful. I mean, if you're here this morning and that's you, listen, these should be hopeful words. Because God says this, he says, look, I hate divorce, but I love people, I love marriage, and I love you. So of course, I'll help you. Of course, I'll come alongside you. Of course, I'll bring hope and help and healing to your marriage. That's what I long to do. And so many people have come through our doors and just let God, piece by piece, 
brick by brick, rebuild their marriage again. And others of you are here, and I'm going to talk to those of you who are still married, and maybe you need to own something this morning. Maybe you're still together, but the reality is you've been breaking faith with your spouse. And I want to tell you how. You've been breaking faith because you've withdrawn when you should have pursued. You've broken faith because you've grown cold where you should have kept a soft heart toward your mate. You've broken faith because you've hidden what should have been brought out into the light in your marriage. So there are some of you today, and you just need to say this, God, I'm not going to break faith any longer with my mate. I will work to better support her. I will work to be more loyal to him in the heat of the battle. Because make no mistake about it, friends, your marriages, you know this, if you've been married longer than about five minutes, your marriage is not taking place on a romantic balcony. It's taking place on a battleground, a spiritual battlefield. And so you have to account for that. Now, maybe you're here and um, you've had to endure a divorce. Maybe your marriage has ended. Maybe it's in the process of ending. Maybe there are even multiple marriages in your rearview window. And maybe you even had a spouse who was unfaithful or abusive or who just refused to grow or change. I mean, sometimes divorce forces itself on us, right? Because we can't make choices for our partner. It's not always just up to us. Maybe you're here and there was misbehavior on your part. You're the reason that your marriage is in the toilet. You know, and it's primarily your fault, maybe for a whole host of reasons, trying to rebuild that relationship isn't even a possibility anymore. Maybe they've moved on, maybe they've remarried, and so reconciliation is out of reach. Well, you need to hear this. God does say very clearly, I hate divorce, but what he does not say is, I hate divorced people. See, the Bible doesn't separate people into categories. In other words, you don't have good, respectable, non-divorced people on one side and then bad, disgraced, divorced people on the other side. See, what the Bible says is that all have sinned and that all fall short of the glory of God. It isn't just that divorced people fall short of the glory of God. Non-divorced people also fall short of the glory of God. That's me. I'm a non-divorced person who falls short of the glory of God. And therefore, shouldn't I have all the grace and mercy in the world for another brother or sister who's also fallen short 
of the glory of God? I mean, every one of us in this room, every one of us that are watching online, everybody who isn't dialed into a local church, we are all, every one of us in the world, we are all sinners in need of God's grace. So here's what I would want to say to you. If you've experienced a broken marital covenant, what you need is to receive grace and mercy and healing. And hopefully, you will find this to be a judgment-free zone for you to do that. You know, what I'm telling you is that we want this to be a healing community for you. We want this to be a church where you find the grace and mercy that you need to help you in your time of need. We want to offer you something. We want to offer you community. We want to offer you care. We want to offer you comfort. And here's why that is so important. See, sometimes when people go through a painful divorce, they never get around to, what I, to doing what I would call resetting the standard. And what I mean by that is they end up grinding through one relationship after another, one marriage covenant after another, just piling up one divorce after another. And they never get around to having a conversation with God where they say, I will grow from this. Like, I will think on what went wrong. I will think on what role, what part I played in the disintegration of my marriage. And God, I will offer that up to you. I will, I will call that sin. I will acknowledge that that's how I fell short of your glory. And I'll, I'll draw near to you. And I will learn from that. I will grow. I will change. And I will do it differently the next time. Sometimes people never get uh, you know, around to doing that. Because listen, it's not simply enough to experience God's grace if you don't reset the standard. Because if you aren't willing to make amends or grow or change or be taught or be challenged by God, ultimately if you're not willing to change, all the grace in the world, just it'll all fall to the ground. It'll just bounce off of you and just fall to the ground. Now, when you really look at these verses that we have kind of read today, something really stands out. In other words, one of the reasons that God says he hates divorce is because of the children. Because he says, you know, I want godly children from your union. And so here what's so fascinating to me, and I said this a minute ago, but I want to tease this out a little more. Malachi is actually laying out one of the purposes for marriage. And, and what you think about the purpose of marriage has tremendous consequences for how you're going to treat 
things like divorce and marriage and remarriage. In other words, if you believe that the purpose of marriage is to raise children who will change the world in Jesus' name, who will contribute to society, who will become a whole and functioning part of the body of Christ, if that's what you believe the purpose of marriage is, you're going to probably make divorce really, really hard. But on the other hand, if marriage is about nothing more than meeting the emotional and physical needs of the adults who enter into it, then you will probably make divorce very, very easy. See, what you believe about the purpose of marriage will impact the way you treat and handle your marriage. So Malachi weighs in. And if we're asking the question, who is marriage for? Is marriage for the adults or is it for the children? Malachi weighs in and he says, it's for the children. It's for the children. So divorce should be really, really hard. I hate divorce because of what it does to people. I hate divorce because of what it does to children. See? So um, in the early 90s, a movie came out. It became an instant classic. It's a movie that all of you have probably seen. It stars Robin Williams. It's called Mrs. Doubtfire. And in this movie, uh, uh, he gets a divorce uh, that, you know, uh, Sally Fields and Robin Williams get a divorce, but he's so desperate to be near and around his children that he, be, he takes on this persona of a kind of a grand, grandmotherly type, and he actually dresses like a grandmother, conceals his voice so that he can be near to his wife and children. But near the very beginning of the movie, I want us to dial in on a discussion between Sally Fields and, um, uh, I just forgot his name. Thank you. Uh, just a discussion that they're having, and I want you to note the emotion in the room as they, as they utter this word for the first time, this word divorce. So watch your screen. Oh. Why do you always make me out to be the heavy? Oh, I don't make you out to be anything. You do it yourself, oh, quite naturally, You set Miranda. me up, Daniel, every time. Oh, I don't set you up. Oh, lighten up, will you? Just realize you're spending too much time with those corporate clones you used to despise. I spend too much time with you, Daniel. It's over. It's over. Come on, Miranda. Listen, we've got problems, but who doesn't? We can work them out. What are you talking about? It's over. We've been trying to work them out for 14 years. Please, listen, maybe we need some help, okay? Maybe we can go to a family therapist. They'll help us do this together. It's too late for that. Well, let's take a vacation together with the kids. As a family, get you away from work. You're a different person. You really are. You're great. Oh, Daniel, our problems would be waiting for us right here when we got back. We'll move. And hopefully our problems won't follow us. Daniel, please don't joke. Just going apart. We're different. 
We have nothing in common. Oh, sure we do. We love each other. We love each other. Don't we? I want a divorce. You can't. We're family. You know? I'm so scared. You know, it's, it's funny, we were uh, previewing this clip. Am I off? Test, test. Am I still off? All right, I'm just going to talk really loud. So we were in a programming team meeting uh, previewing this clip, and uh, after the clip was, oh, there it is, thank you. After the clip was over, I looked over and somebody else across the table had tears. And what they said was, they said these words. They said, um, they said, wow, I just had a flashback and remembered when I was one of those kids on the stairs. Because it's just such a painful deal, isn't it? You know, it's built into all of us to want to protect our kids, but divorce can get in the way of that, can it? There's an old joke, you probably heard it, about a couple in their 90s. They go to see a lawyer. They've, they've been married for 70 years, and they tell this lawyer that sadly they want a divorce. So the lawyer kind of speaks the obvious. He says, look, you're, you're 92 years old. You've been married for 70 years why would you want a divorce now and so they said well you know we had to wait for the kids to die so because it's built within all of us isn't it to want to protect our children to want the best for them well according to the to malachi the purpose of marriage is to produce godly children and see, this is one of the reasons that here at SCC, we are so devoted to raising the bar when it comes to partnering with parents in the raising of their children. In other words, we want to raise the level of intentionality that we have both in children's ministry and student ministry. And we want to be an incredible resource and encouragement to you, to parents, in your quest to raise children who live and love like Jesus. There's nothing more important, friends, than that. This is the end game. And the really cool deal is that Malachi makes a promise. It doesn't, the promise doesn't occur in chapter 2. It doesn't occur until the end of chapter 4. But he makes this incredible promise, and he says, you know, look, if you will point your children to Jesus, he doesn't use those words. Those, are, those will be our words, but he says, Jesus will do something profound in your family. Now, in his day, he was saying, look, there's a Messiah, and this Messiah is going to become, you know, he's going to come, 
And here's what he's going to do when he comes. This is Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. In a day and an age where men and women were breaking their promises to one another left and right. You know what Malachi is saying? He's saying, look, families won't always have to disintegrate like they are right now. It won't always be this way. Because when Messiah comes, he's going to help. He's going to restore He's going to keep hearts soft between husbands and wives, fathers and children, fathers and mothers, mothers and children. He's going to do something amazing when it comes to families. And these are just words. In his day, they were words of anticipation. But in our day, those words have been fulfilled, men and women. Those words have been fulfilled in the person and the ministry of Jesus. And so let me ask you, are you looking to him? Are you drawing from him? Because he has promised. I don't know what condition your family is, is in, but I know this. Jesus has promised to help rebuild what the enemy has taken Away. He's promised to do good things for you, for your family, for your heart, for your ma marriage. You know, because Jesus loves families. He loves marriage. He loves the children that are produced in those marriages. And he wants fathers who are close to their children and he wants children that would know the love of their fathers and isn't that so hard to do in a single parent home isn't that so hard to do when you've drawn a line in the sand and you're each trying to just go it alone so here's what I'd like to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. I'm going to pray for you. Because again, I don't know what condition, what state your family is in. But whatever state it's in, wherever you are on the spectrum, God wants better. God wants to do more for you, for your children, and for your marriage. And so as the team is coming up, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going I'm to pray for myself. Listen, this was a challenging message for me. It was. I'm going to, a little pastoral um, honesty. I think there are areas in my marriage where I've withdrawn where I should have pursued. And in doing that, Malachi called me out and he said, you are breaking faith with the wife of your youth. And so one of the conversations I had to have with God this week is, God, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just not going to do it. I love you more and I love her more than that so let me pray that for you heavenly father thank you for your grace and your mercy thank you for your love of marriage thank you for your love of family thank you for your love of people god somebody who loves like you no wonder you would say that you hate divorce but we're grateful 
that you've never said, I hate divorced people. We're grateful that there are no categories. We're grateful that your grace and your mercy is available for all of us. And would you help us be a church that would extend grace and mercy to those who have sinned differently than we have. And I just ask for this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.